The Lord is uh, just moving in the leadership's heart, giving us some vision and some direction on uh, making disciples in our church. And so we're just going to share from the word to you today the the direction that we feel the Lord is leading us. And so let's just go ahead and pray and uh, give this time to the Lord. Lord, we just uh, thank you for the example that we have in uh, the book of Acts of just group of men that are just surrendered to you and would just continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And, and in Acts chapter 13, we see just, uh, just men just praying and fasting and the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And, and Lord, it's just we've just endeavored to be leaders that uh, pray and seek you and wait on you and fast and cry out to you and in faith that we'll hear from you, just direction for our body, Lord. We thank you just for, for uh, speaking to our hearts and just bringing confirmation uh, through each other, Lord. And uh, just love that passage in Romans 8, that those that are uh, led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. And uh, so we just are led by you today. We pray that you would be the, the force behind the vision presentation today and that uh, you would just enable the hearts to hear you, that you would have hear you today and uh, be glorified in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we've been, uh, you know, for the last year, a little over a year, the men's group has been consistently doing about six weeks worth of series at a time and, uh, and great, great studies that we've been doing. Uh, if you've been a part of that, um, I've been impacted by them. And uh, for this last series, uh, we've been praying and, and specifically Kevin, as he uh, has been leading the men's groups, uh, we were going in the direction of discipleship, um, both making disciples and being disciples. And how do you do that? And uh, as we were praying uh, for about a month in preparation, uh, it was about uh, a week before the men's group started that uh, the Lord had just put that, that weight on Kevin's heart that uh, we were just a little bit off in our direction. Uh, and that was that instead of doing a big series on um, being disciples and making disciples, uh, we just go ahead and, and would live it out. And we would be disciples and we would make disciples. And uh, as great as the men's groups have been, and it's not that we'll never begin them up again or anything like that. Um, we've just noticed just this pattern of, you know, Saturday you come and uh, there's not like a real commitment to being there. And you kind of give lip service and offer the head nod and then leave and then maybe don't even come to church the next day or maybe the week and then maybe come the fourth or the fifth men's group, you know, and, uh, and just feeling like, you know, man, the, the Holy Spirit has been equipping us through the study of his word in both the gospel of Luke and now as we're in Acts, he's been equipping us to make disciples and to be disciples. And, you know, I'm confident that, that uh, we're ready to just dive in and to be doing it. And, uh, and so we're going to look today at uh, what is a disciple, uh, why be a disciple, and why make disciples, and how can you be a disciple. And then we're going to kind of unroll to you guys uh, the direction that the Lord's been leading us. But, you know, I've just been so ministered to lately um, going through the gospel accounts of 
Jesus calling the disciples, specifically those first few. You know, and in Matthew chapter four, if you have your Bibles, Chad's going to read through it and, and uh, really read through it. So keep your finger there. But before Jesus gets there to, um, to, to, to Galilee, it says that he went about the region preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And really, that was the beginning of the call to the disciples. The beginning of the call was a call to repentance, a call to changing your way of thinking about who God is, what this world is all about. And, uh, and then Jesus followed up that call to repentance with a call to follow him. And so those disciples, the first time they heard it, really they heard a message of repent about who you thought God is, who you thought, what you thought your life is to be all about. You know, you guys have been out here on these fishing boats, mending nets and casting nets and pulling in fish and pleasing the dad of the family business. And, you know, really uh, that's great if that's what the Lord's called you to do, but it's not all about that. And so repent, (laughs) repent of your sin, repent of your thinking about who God is, repent of your involvement in God's plan here in the world and come, he then says, and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He calls them to a life of action, not a life of inaction, but a life of, of, you know, of, of moving and walking and traveling and speaking and serving and, and, uh, even more that Chad's going to be talking about. But the life of a disciple is a life of action. And then he also says to them, um, uh, you'll be fishers of men. And it says that immediately when they heard this, first Peter and Andrew left their boats and followed him. And then a little bit later, it talks about James and John. And when Jesus called them, immediately they left their boat and their dad Zebedee in the boat and followed after Jesus. There was a distinct, really repentance of the direction they were going and a, and a hardcore following of who Uh, Jesus wanted them to be. Luke's gospel chapter five, you can just kind of flip over there and kind of follow it along with me or scan it. But in Luke chapter five, we see that this multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God as he stood by the sea of Galilee there. There were two boats in the, in the lake, but there were no, uh, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their net. But one of the boats was Simon's boat. Verse three tells us, And Jesus got into that boat and asked him to just put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he'd stopped speaking, he said to Simon, now launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So this is Luke's account of this, this calling and, and Peter's really jumping into being a disciple. But you know, Peter's there, he's in his fishing boat. He's kind of getting the, the tack, you know, the tackle and everything kind of organized when Jesus gets into his boat to preach a message. And that had to be kind of this, this, you know, paramount moment in Peter's life, this, this stranger getting into his boat, kind of maybe hearing about what this Jesus was all about. And then Jesus says, let's push out a little bit. 
And, you know, and Peter said, okay, okay, we can push my boat out a little bit here. And then Jesus eventually, after he spoke, said, now let's go all the way out. Let's go all the way out. And so they went out into the deep. He says, let's cast those nets. Oh, we've been fishing all night. He says, cast the nets. And when they cast the net, they brought in so many fish that the boats began to sink. Other boats had to come out and help. And, and there was just this great catch. And uh, the Lord's been speaking to me for quite a few weeks out of this chapter that, um, that, you know, many of us, we've come to a place in our lives where Jesus has said, hey, I want to get into your boat. And we think that we can just, you know, kind of as some righteous act of ours, like, okay, okay, you can get in my boat, you know, but that's it, <laughs> you know. And that, you know, if Jesus would ask us to go a little bit further, then we can, okay, 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 we'll go a little bit further. And then if he would say, okay, we're going to go all the way out into the deep. Okay, yeah, okay, let's do that too. Let's go all the way out into the deep. And I've been kind of thinking it for the last few weeks of, man, there's some of us who Jesus is in our boat, you know, he's in our life. And, uh, and there's some of us that we're just content with that, you know, and God's okay with that too. We'll just kind of stay here by the, you know, in the really shallow part of the sea and God's okay with that. And then if you want to, you can go a little bit deeper in the Lord. And, and if you really are just this crazy Christian, man, you'll just go all the way out into the sea and you'll cast nets and just, you know, and I've even shared that. And uh, the Lord just was even speaking to me as, as we were talking in the last service that, there's not those intermediate stages. There's not that as Christians. You're either a Christian who is radical or you're not a Christian. If you have Jesus in your boat, he's going to say to the center of the lake and he'll say, amen, Lord, <laughs> you know, and you'll go to the center of the lake. As you look at the scripture, there isn't that intermediate Stage. I mean, we're all growing. Don't get me wrong. We're all growing. But wherever we're at in our growth, we go all out. We go all out with Jesus. And so today we're going to call the church to all out discipleship, all out following of Jesus and all out making of disciples. We're going to unfold what that looks like in a little bit. But first, Chad's going to come up and he's going to share what is a disciple anyway? What is a disciple anyway? So Chad, go ahead. I'm just going to read through some scriptures and just ask that uh, you guys just listen. <clears throat> you know, sometimes when we, we, we flip all around, it's, you know, you, you kind of miss what's being said sometimes. And, and so just would ask that you guys just, just listen. Um, we, we want to be people that, that read the word, uh, t- take it for what it says, and, and to live it out. And so let's just look at, uh, <clears throat> look at a few, few things here. Uh, we're going to read in, in Luke, Luke 14 where it talks about counting the cost. So now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 9 has this, this to say. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Matthew chapter 4 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. These three passages speak of counting the cost, denying ourselves, and, and walking as Jesus walked, multiplying uh, disciples uh, as, as he makes us fishers of men. Um, I'm going to read John 2.6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Lastly, I'm going to read John chapter 3. Sorry, John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, the servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. These things speak of, you guys, just, just what, it, what it means to be a disciple. In a moment, Stuart's going to, to get up and, and speak to why would we do this. And, and after that, Kevin's going to speak to uh, how we do this. And we, we read some of these things and, and they sound kind of harsh. 
right? And and for many of us, we, we've we've read these things or heard these things taught many times over the years. And we say things like, "Well, do, do, do I really have to hate my family?" That doesn't mean that I have to hate my family. That that's that's kind of harsh. Why would Jesus say that, right? And like I said before, we, we just we want to take the word for what it is and, and, and do what it says. And, and as Rory already pointed out, there, there's no distinction between being a Christian and, and being a disciple. Being a disciple isn't just the, the people that are, that are super hardcore, or the people that are really devoted, or the people that, that are really sold out. Really, the Bible is pretty, pretty cut and dry. Either you're a disciple or you're not. And, and, and so if we're going to embark on, on this this endeavor of making disciples, this endeavor of being disciples, um, it's important that we understand what a disciple is. And if I read this correctly, if I read this and understand what, what it says, really it says that, that my life doesn't belong to me. My life doesn't belong to me. And so, so many times we, we try to have kind of our, our, our foot in the world and, and our foot in the church, right? And we, we, we make some time to, yeah, I, I can go to church once or twice a week and I can, I can help out with this and I can give to that and I can, I can be a part of that. And we're, we're pretty good at patting ourselves on the back because, hey, I'm, I'm super involved you know, with the things that, that the church is doing. But, but you guys, that doesn't make us disciples, just being involved with, with the activities of the church. What makes us a disciple are these things that we just read, counting the cost. Understanding the cost, being okay with the cost, denying ourselves, walking as Jesus walked, serving others, following the example that he left for us. We, we, we just got done uh, here a while back taking the youth group through the book of 1 John. and 1 John, pr- pretty cut and dry as well, just says if you love God, you'll obey God. Right? It says if you love God. Uh, or rather, if you don't love people and you say that you love God, then, then you really don't love God at all, right? Some, some things that, that sound kind of harsh, but, but what, it, what it gets at is kind of if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, what is it? It's a duck, right? And, and here's the things, the, the, the identifiers, the things in your life that identify the, the fact that, that you are a Christian or the fact that you are a disciple. And these things that we just read point to the same thing. That these are the things that, that identify us uh, as being a disciple. Here's what a disciple is, right? And, and so Stuart's going to come up and, he, and he's going to speak a little bit more to uh, why in the world would we do this, right? If, if, it's, if it's hard, if the Bible says to do these things and they're hard things to do, why, why would we do it? Go ahead, Stuart. Guess what I'm speaking on? The why. So... Here's the deal. I, I'm just to tell you a little about myself. I'm, I was always a very curious kid, and as a curious kid, I would ask the favorite question of all kids: Why? Right? And sometimes kids just ask that maybe to be annoying, but oftentimes it's they really want to know and they really want to learn. And we need to investigate this with that same kind of mindset, faith that faith like a child, if you will. And go, why discipleship? Why does it matter? Why should I care? So what? Can't I just skate by being a Christian? Well, we're going to look at that text. But, but what we really need to understand here is discipleship is a life of sanctification. That sanctification is that big biblical word 
that really means being set apart, to be set apart, but it's a process. It's, it's a word that has uh, the implication of continuation. And we need to understand that because if, if we don't, what we have, we end up with this belief that um, we, we live a life of decision, not a life of discipleship, to, to borrow what one person had said about this. It, it's the difference between simply being here today and raising your hand and saying, oh, yeah, that sounds good, I want that, and then walking out the door. And you could come back every Sunday too, but going and then doing whatever you, you really want without any consideration to, well, what does Jesus want? What does God actually want? Have you ever asked yourselves that? What does he really want with me? Our favorite question seems to be, what's the meaning of this life? Well, really, that's not a bad question, but it's not quite the right question to be asking. It's, what does God actually want with my life? And we need to understand something. Is Discipleship is a life of worship. Being sanctified happens in the process of submitting our lives as living sacrifices to Jesus for what he has done. You see, when Jesus stood there right before he was going to ascend, we see in the end of Matthew, the Great Commission is what we call it. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, then he says, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command. In another place, Jesus says, why do you not do the things that I tell you to? This is also in Luke. He says, if you do the things, I, if you hear what I say and you do what I tell you to, you are like the one who builds your house on a rock. You guys know this story. But if you hear what I say and you don't do it and you ignore it, you are the person who builds your house on the soil, the sand, no foundation. And you guys know that story. You've probably heard it a, a million times if you've been in church for more than five minutes. But the, yesterday, actually, it hit me with new understanding. Because both are people who hear. And we are tempted to come here and be like, I need to be here. I need to hear. I need to get some more knowledge. I need to um, fill my head with more stuff. And that's really not your problem. Our problem is we need to actually do then what he says. And I don't want to uh, confuse you and make you think that we're talking about salvation by works. We are not talking about salvation by works. We are talking about salvation that was won for us, once for all, it says. And we place our faith in Jesus, the finished work that he does, and we are justified because of him. Positionally before God, we stand holy and righteous because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus. However... This is where sanctification begins. Um, I heard an awesome uh, example. If, if all you want is, is that life of decision and you're like, well, I, I want salvation, but I really don't want to follow Jesus, um, you're not ready to, to be a disciple. Because it's like a woman who, who enjoys a wedding. She really wants to get married and plans and plans and puts all this time and energy into it. But that same day after the wedding, she says, I want a divorce, you know, because a life of Marriage for 50 years is, you know, a wedding is great. That's exciting. But actually committing to this is not very exciting. Uh, 50 years, 60 years, that's a lot. That's asking a lot of me. It's no different with Jesus because if we say, I want, decide, I, I want uh, salvation, but I don't want anything else that you have to offer. We don't really want salvation. We don't want Jesus. We want something else. 
And what we really got to get here is discipleship is lived out in a life of worship to Jesus. What is worship? Worship, if you guys will turn with me, if you guys have, uh, have your Bible in front of you, all the way to the beginning. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This has implications to it. This, this establishes our role. This is before the fall. We were created to image God, to literally to reflect him like a mirror would reflect the sun. And the fall was simply that we chose, I don't want to reflect God's image. I choose to reflect my own. I choose to do what I wish to do. See, God is worthy of glory. Jesus is worthy of glory. And glory is simply something that we esteem highest, most important, of greatest value and worth. And we don't actually, um, if we're honest with ourselves, most of the time we don't esteem Jesus as that important. Because what he says, what, what was read earlier about hating father and mother and sister and brother, his emphasis there is, you're going to love me so much, a disciple loves me so much that I'm in a league of my own. And, and those things, they don't, they don't even compare Understand, we are to love father, mother, sister, brother. Hate is not a a biblical value. But his emphasis there is, if it comes between them saying, you choose me or you choose God, you will always say, I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus. And if we don't, we've made a choice to worship a false God. And that is where worship comes from. So we look here in Genesis that we're created in God's image. We are to reflect his glory. And that is how we worship him with lives that are submitted to him to bring him joy or to, sorry, to bring him glory. And that is our greatest joy in the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We've talked about this before. We went through this with our men's group. The very first question is, what is, or what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We don't really believe that, though. We don't believe that if God gets his glory from me, I will have joy. Because we esteem something as greater and more uh, valuable and of greater worth. Be it something that's good or evil. See, here's the temptation, you guys. You're going to sit there and we all have a little lawyer inside of us that goes, okay, how can I, how can I get off the hook on this one? Well, I, I like things that aren't sinful. Show me in the Bible where it says that that's sinful. Show me in the Bible where it says that um, spending every waking hour um, entertaining my hobbies is sinful. Show I, I can't show you that, but what I can show you is your heart using the scripture. And, and what it says in, in Romans chapter 12, let's flip there real quick. It says this, it says, uh, actually starting in verse 36 of uh, chapter 11, but for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. There's that word glory. Then he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Those are the things that are going on in a disciple's life. You see, there's glory. God is glorious. And then I I recognize that glory, and I give everything 
of mine to that glory. Because Jesus said all authority has been given to him, not just some, all. So what does that mean? I said this earlier in the first service. The Greek word for all is all. Not literally that, but it means all. There's no secret meaning there. There's no, no way of skirting around that. Well, actually, when he said all, he meant 95%. But that 5%, I can do whatever I want. No, Jesus has rights to you. He redeemed you and purchased you. He redeemed you and, and redeemed me. I have no right really standing before him to say, no, that part's mine. You can't have that. See, when we live a life of discipleship, we are going to give God his glory that is due him. And here's the really cool part. We get our joy because we were created as instruments to give him glory. And I use this example often, but if I'm a, a, in a trade, let's say I'm a carpenter, and I have a hammer, and I decide, you know, I'm, I don't really like hammering things with this hammer. I'm going to paint with it, or I'm going to unscrew things with it, or, or tighten screws with it. If that hammer could speak, it would be like, I'm not doing what I was made for. It's not, it's not even going to be very functional, right? Maybe some of you are clever and you can figure out, well, if I just turn it this way, maybe I'll, yeah, there we go. It's going to be miserable for that hammer. And, but that's what we do is we say, no, actually what I was created for is not the glory of God. I was created for um, the glory and pleasure of myself, the pursuit of my dreams, my hopes, my ambitions, the American dream. Those things are what we esteem as most valuable when we say God is second to those things. And, and then you wonder why you're not happy and why you're, you're miserable and why if one of those things is taken away that you worship as God... Why it's so fragile and, and then your life is over as you know it. Why worship something that can be taken away? But Jesus cannot be taken away. And we are to esteem him as glorious. And as disciples who are walking with Jesus, that is our, really our chief end, is that we bring God glory by living lives that are in submission to him and surrender to him. And that we say, anything and everything that I have, whatever you ask of me, is there, is there nothing that he can ask of us? And the answer should be, no, there's nothing that he can, cannot, cannot ask of us. It's all his. We want to function as the tools that we were created for, the vessels that we were created to be, the image bearers of God in surrender to him. None of us are off the hook on this one. None of you can say, well, I'm exceptional. I, I am the exception to the rule. I was not created to image God and bring him glory. The question you have to answer is, then what were you created for and who created you? We sing a song and we're going to sing it later. He created nothing that will give us more pleasure than him. And if we are disciples, we're going to walk in in the pleasure of him, in enjoying him. And let him actually redeem those things that we've turned into God's. We can surrender them to him and actually use them for his glory rather than for our own. So we want to, in this process of what we're talking about here... Give God his glory and understand that we will function as a tool that will get the most joy out of being used and being and functioning how we were made to be. It's not that complicated, but we we like to complicate it. So, Kevin, you're going to come up, say your thing. So it's... As uh, the guys pointed out, I get the the how. Um, So Chad talked about what. What is disciple? What is a disciple? We see that um, there's some tough words there, right? That describe a a disciple. One that counts the cost. One that denies self. 
one that, that walks as Jesus walked, and we know by looking at the Bible that that, that, that was a tough road. Uh, a disciple multiplies people into the kingdom. A disciple serves, and, and, and on and on and on and on. Not, <clears throat> not an easy, selfish, self-centered life, right? Um, and Stu came up and, and said, you know, here's why. Here's why that we would do this. God gets glory, and I get joy. Okay, so it's, so it's difficult, but here's why. And, that, and, and we can, we can kind of like stir this up and bring a charge, and let's go do this thing, this discipleship thing. And yeah, yeah. How do we do this, though? How do we sustain this life of discipleship? How do we really walk this out, this difficult road? Why is it difficult? Well, it's a surrendering of life, right, as Chad read. And, and um, it's the world hates Jesus. He said that, right? And so the world's going to hate you if you're a follower of me. We're already in a broken, difficult, tough world as it is. Jesus didn't save us to get it out, get us out of that world. Not until eternity anyway. But what he did save us for was to be a part of this world. To be able to have help in this world. To walk through this world. Not just to get through, but to be able to testify of his return. To be able to speak of that to other people. So... How, how does this happen? How can we possibly live a difficult life that might, as, as Chad read in Luke 14, it might, it might bring family member against family member. Well, this way, if I stay this way, my, my wife will be happier, my child will be, but if I go this way that, that Jesus says to come, and I know he's telling me to come this way to him, it, it may cause tension here. How do we do that? The world says this is the right things to do. You hang on to your jobs with all that you've got. It's all about you. Bible teaches us, no, it's not all about you. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we shun what we know to be true, what we think to be true, how we've lived to be true for so long, and, and, and we walk this way? The world says, man, if somebody comes against you, they got it coming back to them. You fight back. We see in Scripture, no, you don't. You lay down your life for them. How do we do these difficult things that Jesus calls us as disciples to do? Well, the disciples themselves we see that they use their own strength, their own flesh, initially. Peter says, I believe it's in Luke 22, 33, Peter says, you know, Jesus, I will follow you to prison and even to death. I will do that. And I believe Peter had every good intention that he wanted to and that he was willing. But as we're told in Matthew 26, 41, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we see Peter with this boldness. And he's already walking around in some difficult situations, isn't he? But we see later on in the gospel accounts that that Peter denies Jesus. And we've all heard this story. So Peter's going to tell you it's not in your flesh. I really want to follow you, Jesus. But it wasn't here. I I, I can't do it in my own strength. I denied I even knew the man. So how are we going to do it? How do we walk this difficult road out? How do I say no to self? How do I turn against family member if necessary? How do I lay everything down? You can imagine that the disciples wanted to know, right? Every one of them split and bailed at the resurrection. I mean, we're all gone, basically. Or at the crucifixion, rather. And Difficult, difficult, for sure. You can imagine, like I said, these disciples were going, I want to follow. How do I do this? I'm tired. I can't. I just... I just can't do this. And you guys, that's the rejoicing words of today that I can't do this in my strength. You guys, you can't do it. 
you can't do this, and, and neither can I. And you know what? You won't do this, and neither will I. <clears throat> you see, in, in, in John 16, verse 4, Jesus says to his disciples, But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember what I told you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, uh, asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things, your hearts are filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, do not go away, the helper will not come to you. They didn't quite understand these things until when the resurrection came, Jesus came back. The Holy Spirit enabled them to see and recollect the things that Jesus had taught them. So here they are our side of the resurrection, and they recall that Jesus, God incarnate, God flesh, the man Jesus, God Savior, King, everything, told the disciples right here, it's going to be to your advantage that I leave and that the Holy Spirit would come to you. It's like, how could you? Come on, Jesus, what do you mean? Are you serious? You could just think them like, how can this you think they would have great expectations of the Holy Spirit in their life? It's like, you're walking with me and you're saying it'd be better if you go that I have. Holy cow. And then in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus tells them, it's like the, the, the Father is giving you the promise. Here he comes, the Holy Spirit. You sit and you wait right here. Can you imagine them in the room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? Here comes the Holy Spirit, you know. Here he comes. Remember what he's saying? Yeah, I remember. All right. Holy cow. Couldn't do this on my own. The Holy Spirit's coming. And then in chapter 2, he comes. Like a rushing wind, he comes. And he does not disappoint. He comes, and it says there, with, with tongues of fire on each person. They were speaking in tongues. And you guys just read the book of Acts if you want to see what the Holy Spirit does to people. Here's these guys that ran away from a little girl asking them if they just knew Jesus. Weren't you one of them in the garden? No, I wasn't. To preaching to people who they knew were opposed to them, opposed to Jesus, opposed to this gospel, being beaten and flogged for it, and then they rejoiced. Because I'm worthy to be beaten for, for, for his sake, for the gospel's sake. I mean, the book of Acts is filled with men that did crazy things that were filled with the Holy Spirit. Only way they could do it is by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Reading a, a, a book, well, just finished up a book, Francis Chan, The Forgotten God, that, was, that talks about God the Spirit being forgotten in our lives, primarily here in the Western United States, or in the Western world, the United States. Um, that... Um, you know, he, he talks about how we're at a serious disadvantage, you guys here in America, of, of knowing the Spirit in our lives. We're at a really serious, serious disadvantage. You see, the Holy Spirit, you guys, came to give us power to testify to Him, to testify to God. And we do that with lives that are laid down, that love people, that follow God, that, that lives of disciples. It's a requirement. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your life to live like a disciple, to be a disciple. Because the Bible teaches us that, that we as Christians, we receive, we all receive the Holy Spirit. But what we here in America do 
that grieves the Holy Spirit, where we quench Him. We quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can basically snuff Him out and the power that He is to us to testify to Him. And the disadvantage that we are at as Americans is this. We don't wake up needing the Holy Spirit in our lives, so we think, right? Nobody came here this morning and and said, Holy Spirit, please help me to get to church and don't let anybody kill me on the way there. This persecution that comes my way, Lord, fight that battle for me. I want to see you today. Or please, God, help me feed my children today. Or please, God, I know that I have no money and there's, there's no hospitals around here, but let me, please let me just, just, just heal my child. If only I could have fresh drinking water, please, Lord, supply us with some water just today. Lord, I want to go clear over here across town and preach the gospel to somebody over here, a friend. Help me to get there. You, you guys, most of the world knows Jesus this way. Francis went to, to India and to China, and he talked to them about how we are. He asked them, will you talk to me about persecution? They're like, what? Why? Oh, I just want to hear a story about persecution. Why? Because we don't, we don't experience, what, what do you mean? Everybody experiences persecution, they said. It's, it's in here in God's word. Let me quote this to you. Everybody that knows Jesus experiences persecution. Everybody. Jesus said so. Francis is like, we kind of don't. We're just, we're over, we, we got everything. It's just so easy where we live. You know what we have? We actually have people that evaluate a church service and they go, okay, well, this guy's a good teacher. He's not. And they leave or they join or they, ah, not worship music isn't that good or this childcare is not that. So we actually have people that come in and out of church and they're like, what? What are you talking about? And they started laughing hysterically. It's like, what is that? What do you mean? See, they, they depend upon the Spirit to live daily. They know Him. They know who the Spirit is. They know He's the helper. They know He's the comforter, the encourager. They know Him as that. You guys, we don't live in a society that really needs to know Him as Christians almost. I mean, you guys know what I'm saying, right? We do. But we can be saved and we can live... 75 years of Christian life and really never need Him. I want to experience the Holy Spirit as my supply in my life. Disciples, man, when you lay it down, when you lay it down and you give it all up, doesn't mean everybody, oh, I'm just going to lose my home. Whatever it, ta- whatever it is, though, do I have a home that I'm not willing to get? Do I have a job I'm not willing to give up? Do I have relationships I'm not willing to give up? Do I have a bank account I'm not willing to give up? What area do I have that I'm not willing to give up? Disciples go, it's all yours. And you may leave me here. You may have me have this great job. I don't know what you're going to do, but you may take me here. The gospel may take me here. It may kill me. I'm okay with that. Whatever, whatever you would have, see? So these guys, these disciples... They lived life without the Spirit and saw where that got them. Then they lived life in the Spirit. What a, what a world of difference it is. Um, just real quick, I, a, a little testimony of, of mine to the flesh and to the Spirit, what we're talking about. A couple of weeks ago, um, I, was, I was with one of the, uh, my guys that I work with, and, and, and he and I were, were um, you know, we're working together this day. And just to give you a little bit of background, he, he's not a believer. He's never been around you know, not really been around Christians that much. And um, uh, I've known him for four or five years. I've laid out the gospel to him, you know, in, in the best I know how to. I've, I've bought him a Bible, bought him books. 
um, giving him books and, and, you know, just everything that I can think of to do. Love the guy. Just want him to know Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, um, uh, we're at the job site and we're working. And I'm, I'm consciously, I'm, I'm constantly aware of, of, of everything I say and do. Um, especially around this guy, as I love him. I want, I, I just want him, I want my words to back up exactly how I live. I want this to all make sense to him. And I want him to see a guy that loves Jesus and loves people just desperately. And this is your life. Work is not your life. Making money is not your life, right? And so, so this day, it was, it was a Thursday a couple of weeks ago, I remember. Um, we're working together. And he, he starts to tell me about how somebody, um, you know, that, uh, just how kind of somebody was just kind of complaining, just kind of you know, complaining about me. In, in, my, in my flesh, I immediately, I don't even know if I'd let him finish a sentence, probably not. Just like, how dare that person talk about me like that after all I've done for that person? And, and I went on for two or three minutes just to belittle that, what that person was doing, and lift me up in all that I would do. And... And I didn't even finish speaking, and I knew, I just knew how wrong that was because of how it made him view that person, how it made him view me, how it made him view God. And, uh, you know, just heading home, I was just so absolutely just angry with myself. So, so mad, so insensitive. Man, all, I just think of all this work that the Lord is doing, and I was just willing to throw it all away. This guy's life. It's his life. It's life or death for him right now, coming to know this God. And part way home, I was able to muster up, you know, what I, what I did back there, I said, that was not good. I'm sorry. That's all I could even say. And so it was silent all the way home, just a mess that night, just prayed and just begged God that night and in the morning that he could somehow... Just forget what I had done, forget what I had said, that he wouldn't miss, miss, you know, that just that God could undo that, could fix that, what I just made a mess of, as I chose to live in the flesh that day, just at work, just at work. And so I was just in tears, and I woke up and just begged God. Anthony came over that morning, and we read together and just prayed, and I said, just pray with me, just pray with me today that the Spirit leads me. It's all I need. If the Spirit leads me all day today with Him, it'll, it'll go well. I got to repent some more. And it was so heartfelt in the morning. I got to talk to Him. I was like, that, that was me. I got to talk to Him about the Holy Spirit in us and how He works. And when we walk in flesh, this is what happens. And, and, and all day was just filled with, with just encouragement and kindness. And it was just really different from the day before. So, so I know what it's like to walk in the flesh. And I know you do too. And I know what it's like to walk in the Spirit. Thursday, I was a tool in the hand of Satan. Friday, I was a tool in the hand of Jesus. Man, I hate being used by Satan. I don't know about you. You guys, we've got to walk in the flesh. I mean, in the Spirit. Hopefully that can be erased. For His glory. For people's hope. For our joy. We're going to do this discipleship thing and, and uh, excited about it. We've been, we've been just talking about it and praying with each other. I mean, it's just been awesome. We've just had such unity. And it's just been so fun. And, and, and 
Frank's been a big part of it and others as well. Anthony and uh, man, it's just been awesome how the Lord's drawing us together. But we're not coming up here and doing this to be the green beret of this church. There, there is no such thing. His strength, his power. We just want to, we want to know what it feels like. Maybe it's me. Maybe I want to know what it feels like to lay everything down and go, not my will, Lord, your will be done. Your will be lived out in my life. Make you look big. Make you look so worthwhile. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what is going to, God's going to require of some guys to follow him, but I'll bet you this. I'll bet you it's not all going to be easy. I'll bet you that. I want my story, my life to be how people would look at that and they would go, only Jesus. Dude wouldn't do that, especially him. I know, Kevin, the power, you guys, of the Holy Spirit in us. I want to know him in this difficult place to know him. I want to know him like that. And that's what we want to gather this group for, you guys, is to know him, to know God, to see him, to, to know his work within us. We can have so much knowledge of the word. A lot of you have been in church for a lot of years and never come to knowing the power of the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says that the gospel didn't just come to you in word only, but in power and with the Spirit. And as Tozer talks about, he unpacks that verse and he says, um, so that means that the, the gospel can come to you in two ways. One with word only and one with the power of the Spirit. And you guys, they are miles apart, miles apart. Discipleship, this road to discipleship, every disciple knows the power of the Holy Spirit in them because they've laid it down and they depend upon Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. We, every day, every day, even here in the land of everything, every day. And so as we do this, hopefully a year from now, because this is going to be a year-long thing, as Rory's going to talk about here in just a second, that at the end of this thing, when we're standing here before you, or a year from now, hopefully, if we're all here, if, um, if that would be the, the Lord's will, that, that we would be men up here, and maybe even some women too, don't know how this is going to all work out, but, but that would be marked, yes, by what we have done. Yes, by the things that we have laid down. That would be marked by all these things. But you guys, with a, what I want to be marked with is, is the Holy Spirit in my life. I've lived a lot of my life with the knowledge of the Spirit but without his power, without experiencing him daily, without really depending upon him. And these guys are going to be filled with joy, joy that comes from a life of discipleship and joy that comes with an intimacy of the Holy Spirit. Rory's going to come and, and kind of just uh, unfold that, what we're, how it's going to happen. <clears throat> okay, so... Um... <clears throat> Wanting to get back to the first example we have of discipleship, and that's with Jesus, and uh, and how he, you know, cultivated a relationship with his boys, you know, and we see them just spending a lot of time together, a lot of teachable moments, you know, but they were in each other's lives, they were eating together, they were camping together, they were, you know, arguing together, <laughs> you know, they were acting like sinful guys together not jesus he was he was holy you know but uh but we've just been wanting to just adopt that model uh in our men's group as well and so um kind of going back to more of a primitive look at discipleship kind of that foundational look at discipleship that um you know breaking up into groups of of uh, two or three or four 
And uh, each group will have a leader. And the leader himself, he's going to be uh, involved in its own discipleship group where there's uh, growth and encouragement and vision is cast for all of the, the under core groups. Uh, but something you're going to see in, in each one of these little groups that hopefully you men will be a part of is uh, you're going to see accountability. You know, accountability is going to be there. We're going to walk in the light together. And that light, man, we're going to allow the light to expose the inner crevices of our heart where sin is residing. And we're going to encourage each other in our struggling. We're going to, uh, you know, rebuke each other uh, when we see each other, you know, beginning to waver in the faith or falter or compromise. You know, we're going to just give each other permission in these groups of three or four guys that, hey, you call me on it when you see me wavering. You know, you correct me, you exhort me. And uh, there's going to be that accountability. There's going to be that encouragement. As we're told in Ecclesiastes, man, if you've got two or three guys around you, man, if you fall down, it's a lot easier to get up. You know, and a three-stranded cord, it's not easily broken. You know, we're going to be a band of brothers, in essence, that's not going to be able to be broken. We're going to train each other and equip each other for the work of the ministry. And as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, you know, we're going to train faithful men to train faithful men that they in turn will train faithful men and so on and so forth. So much so that, that the vision is that in a year, every one of the guys that's involved in a discipleship group will be leading their own discipleship group. And uh, you know, I believe that is the Great Commission. We're going to all be making disciples. Um, and so there will be training and equipping for that as well. Equip, you're going to be equipped for the ministry. And so uh, what we have up here at this front table is basically a letter to you today uh, that rolls out the plan in just a very clear way and then also has a questionnaire on the back. And uh, um, basically we're going to close today with worship and our response to the word of God is going to be, uh, if you sense the Holy Spirit moving on you today, to go deeper and deeper out into the lake in discipleship, both being a disciple and making disciples, our response today is going to be you coming up and grabbing one of these letters and questionnaires and taking it home with you and praying over it and taking this week. You have one week to fill it out and to bring it back. That's your assignment. We've been talking about the cost of discipleship. This is going to be part of the cost uh, of being a disciple. And, uh, and once you get that turned back in, we're going to assign the groups and, and just start rolling with just this real organic approach to discipleship where, you know, my group, I'll just tell you my group, man, I'm going to say, hey, you put my number on speed dial, you know, you know where my house is, you come by, you be part of my family. I want to come to your family things. I want to be in your life. I want to know uh, everything about you. I want to be able to encourage you. I want you to know everything about me. And we're going to spur each other on. We're going to go out. We're going to make disciples. We're going to evangelize. Um, you know, we're going to stand with each other in the hard times and rejoice with each other uh, in, the, in the good times as well. So there's going to be a cost to it. And, um, but, you know, man, it's worth it. It's worth the cost. And not only is it worth it, God is worthy of the cost. So, um, so that's how we're going to close today. And there's, you know, there's a lot to be said that it's just hard to do in this amount of time. But, uh, you know, just as Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, I believe that the Lord is going through our church today and saying, hey, follow me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I believe that, man, if we will follow him, if we'll count the cost of being a disciple, take up our cross, we'll choose Jesus over our family who might be competing for time with Christ. I believe we're going to be like Peter in Luke chapter uh, 5, where we, don't, we have so many fish in our boat that our boats are sinking. You know, the, the, the Lord is going to add to the church as we just are faithful to be disciples and make disciples. And, you know, just closing, John chapter 6 talks about uh, the feeding of the 5,000 and how uh, so many people began to follow Jesus after they were fed, but it was because they were fed. They just wanted to have their bellies full. They wanted, what can I get out of following Jesus? How can my comfort level always be filled? And in Luke chapter, or John chapter 6, you know, Jesus says, you guys are following me just because you want like these blessings that come from following me. But I say that you need to eat my body and drink my blood. You need to consume me. Let me be all of you and you be all of me. And a lot of people were like, whoa, this is freaky. This, these are hard sayings that he's talking about. And they walked away at that hour. And Jesus looked at the 12 and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And you know that the cost of being a disciple is it's all or nothing. It's carrying your cross. It's hating your mother and your brothers and your sisters. It's, it's you know, forsaking all and following me. Are you guys going to leave too? And Peter looked at Jesus and said, oh Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so, man, what we're calling the church to is to forsake all, to be led by the spirit and to say, Jesus, it's all about you. If you would have me quit my job today to go and make disciples, I will do it. If you will have me get three hours less of sleep a night so that I can make disciples, I'll do it if that's what you'll have me do. You know, if you'll have me open up my home so that, you know, dinners are now with my discipleship group and we're, Lord, whatever you would have me do, I will do it. But if there's any bit of, uh uh-uh, this is my territory, Lord. You're in a dangerous place. And so in the response time, if you sense the Lord just saying, hey, this is you, I'm calling you to be a disciple, come up and get this packet. If you're not going to come up and grab this packet, I really encourage you to search your heart as to why you won't. And if it's because there's something you're holding on to, it's just, it's a, it's a place that you need to get together with the Lord and, and say, Lord, here's this part that I don't want to give up to you. For you gals, you might be like, okay, this whole thing's been about the men's blah, blah, blah. You know, this isn't just for the men. We are wanting to lead by example and have you gals follow. We've talked with Hope and Lindsay about this, and the it's going to look different for the, the gals. The gals are looking at it, how it can work for, for you. But us guys, man, we're just saying, hey, with reckless abandon, let's follow Jesus. So get plugged into one of these groups. Come and fill out the questionnaire. Have it turned in a week ago. And as we worship the Lord right now, you can just respond by saying, Lord, there's, I'm sensing your Holy Spirit saying, let's go deeper. Let's go out in the middle of the lake. Let's catch some fish. So let's respond with that today.